0: Hi, and welcome to Versations, Klein ISD's podcast about all things teaching and learning. I'm Monica Schallenberger, and I'll be the host for each episode, and my guest will be rotating educators from all over our school district. This podcast is for anyone wanting to expand their knowledge about teaching and learning and here are conversations about the journey of educators being joyful, reflective, transparent, and deliberate about applying their learning to transform the world. Our guest today is Kayla Zitzman. I'm excited to have our first instructional specialist on the podcast. She started her career in Huntsville and came to Klein ISD, which is the district that she graduated from, where she currently serves as a literacy instructional specialist at Benford Elementary. Before becoming a specialist, she has served as a team leader for third and fourth grade teams and has a decorated career with experience as a university mentor for student teachers. She was chosen as a Transform Academy teacher, She presented at the February TCEA conference over personalized learning, is a Google-certified educator, a Seesaw ambassador, an EdPuzzle coach, and was the 2017-18 Benford Campus Teacher of the Year. You're going to learn so much from her input about intentionally personalizing learning by using learner profiles and personalized learning paths. Here's our conversation now. All right, so let's get this party started with welcoming our first guest. Welcome Kayla to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here and talk about intentionally personalized learning for students. Yes. Um, and so we'll just dive right in. I've heard that you're kind of a guru for learner profiles in your classroom. And so I just want to talk about what kind of started you on this journey to personalized learning for your students and what made you put an emphasis on this type of learning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So i um- I started my career teaching in Huntsville, and I was blessed to start out right away with having just a ton of access to technology. Um, And so right away, when you're you're delving into that type of environment, you really are either going to sink or swim as far as using the technology um, the way that it's designed to be used. Um, And so right away, I went to a project-based learning training Um, And I kind of started there Mm -hmm. at the beginning of my career. Um, It's sort of an avenue of personalized learning, um, but not really based on academics. You might have student choice involved in project-based learning. And um, I was really big into that for a few years. And then the whole Google Classroom thing kind of blew up in education. um, And I moved to Klein. And really started to um, get curious about this whole personalized learning thing. I was part of Transform Academy. Um, wow. I was working on a team of teachers who were just amazing, and we all wanted to, you know, start using our technology in Klein um, as best we could. And so um, we just really started to get curious about personalized learning and um, differentiating. You know, it was something that we were familiar with, but differentiation. And personalized learning was kind of different and we were we were starting to realize that um and so the team that I was on with Jennifer Turner and Amy Rourke we just we the three of us just decided you know what let's start small and try this and um so we just took the dive and and um it, the time that we decided to start doing personalized learning was right around our nonfiction unit okay uh we were able to you know really target what our students mm-hmm. needed and um you know, start trying to personalize for each student and their
0: pathways. Okay. So I love that you talk about how differentiation can be different than personalized learning because, mm-hmm. you know, differentiation was such a buzzword for so long. Right. And I remember when it came out, it was like this big word. It was like the magical word like what does this mean like everyone's like ooh, and then over the years I just saw so many definitions and as a teacher I struggled with what does this mean and every campus I was on or team etc everyone had a different look so Mm -hmm. when you say differentiation kind of came out to be a little bit different than personalized learning Mm -hmm. what do you think about that like why do you think it's different but also connected in a way
1: yeah um, so when we, you know, we were really good at breaking down data mm-hmm. and, you know, looking at, okay, let's, let's look at this assessment that we just did and okay. how did our students perform? Um, you know, what were our lowest teaks and then, you know, what, then what to do with that data? You know, there's, there's. You can have great conversations around data and then not go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you you know, you can kind of just walk away from the table or walk away from the PLC going, OK, well, we need to work on these four skills and yeah. not really have like a direction. Um, and so we took the four skills and broke it down even further and talked about, OK, which students in our classroom performed weakest at these levels? Okay. Um, and then with the technology that we have, we decided to do hyperdocs. Okay. Um, to personalize the learning, and so you know it's it's a big kind of undertaking, yeah. and you know we we wanted to just start small, um, and so you know we stayed late and we worked yeah. hard and we tried to get these four hyperdocs done according to um, the four different skills that our students needed. Okay. Um, And then we were able to just kind of start there. And so each kid had their own pathway um, with these four
0: HyperDocs that we designed. So that's what I love about this, the way that you guys approached it, is you're not saying that all, what, 20-something kids that you had had their own pathway. Right. You're saying there were four. Right. And we could still personalize the students' pathways by sticking them in in one of those four. Mm -hmm. It's still better than one. It's still better than two. But it doesn't mean you have to have 23 right off the bat. Exactly. And I love how you're – simplifying a very complex, um, tenet of personalized learning by mm-hmm. saying, look, like we looked at the data and we didn't just walk out of the room. Right. Um, but you said you had the four skills and you looked at the, the weakest students mm-hmm. and then what were the other three pathways? So, so the
1: weakest, so we had four, the four of the lowest performing standards okay. is what we designed our four pathways on. Um, and so not every student was, was on every pathway. Okay. Um, and the students who didn't need to be on those okay. pathways were offered enrichment projects. Love it. According to the standards, still. So, like, if one of the standards was cause and effect, then we had an enrichment project, and that's kind of where like my project-based learning yeah. sort of, sort of thing came in. Um, you know, we had some different choices built in for those students who didn't need to be on those pathways that week. Um, so the unit took us four weeks to complete because we had those four pathways and. Um it was just it was amazing to see the students learning that way. Yeah. Um and it after that we like didn't want to ever go
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know that um hyperdocs is a popular activity people use consistently mm-hmm. and it's everywhere. But I know there are people out there still that don't know what a hyperdoc is. Yes. Um I was actually having this conversation last night with a teacher and they were like, I don't know what a hyperdoc is. So um and then, really, I don't know if you can answer this question. What's the difference between a hyperdoc and a playlist, or would you use those interchangeably? Um, so what is a hyperdoc like? Yeah. How, if a teacher is thinking, like, what is a hyperdoc, and what, how can I use it, or how do I create it? What would you say to them?
1: Okay, so we actually did um, Jennifer Turner and Amy Rourke and myself did a hyperdoc training um, this summer, and so uh, we actually have we've done a done the training several times at different avenues and things. Um, But it's basically, you can use Google Docs or Google Slides. Okay. um, And you want to pick a skill that your HyperDoc will be designed around. And then from there, you kind of just go through the lesson cycle but in a digital way. Yeah, love it. And so, you know, it becomes self-paced for the students, which is another thing that's great about personalizing learning is you're not saying, okay, today we have to do this lesson. Today we have to do this activity. Um, You know, the students are able to work through it at their own pace um, and, you know, gain the knowledge that way. And so you might start with like an introduction video to this, to the topic, to the skill, um, and then you would start with and then from there you would go to kind of like a like a practice piece, you mm-hmm. know, practicing using the skill. Yeah. Um, then depending on your content area, you might have the students play like a game or something. And so like each each little component of this giant document or this or this Google slide deck is kind of taking them to different areas on the Web or different um, things that you've yeah. linked in different articles. And I mean, there might even be things built into your HyperDoc that aren't. That aren't technology based. You might have built in there that says, oh, stop here, take a break. You need to check in with your teacher and go, you know, pull the exit ticket from the red basket or whatever. So, you know, it's just it's the lesson cycle, but it's built in a way that the students are working through it at their own pace. And then it allows the teacher to be available in the classroom um, to be pulling small groups or to be, you know, working with those students who are struggling and need extra support. Um, so it's just, it's really neat when you kind of see it in action, you can kind of stand back and say, oh my goodness, all of the students in this classroom are working on things that
0: are targeted to them. Um, and I'm able to help. Yeah, facilitate. and what I love about hyperdocs too, just being a secondary person, like I've seen elementary classroom, mm-hmm. my twin sister taught kindergarten for years mm-hmm. and just being in there, I was blown away the first time I got in there and there were stations and, and things like that going on, but this can be applicable for secondary teachers oh, absolutely, and teenagers would love this and tweens and intermediate school would love this kind of activity. So, um, we didn't have these when I was teaching still, yes. but I wish so badly yes. we did because I just wish that, um, I could have used something like this because I love the idea of hyperdocs. Mm-hmm. So speaking of student pacing, and I might be jumping ahead of us in a conversation. When I when I see and I maybe a teacher who hasn't used learner profiles before, and we'll just go the hyperdoc route because we were talking about. Yeah. How do you fit the pacing of what you need to cover and really making sure these learner profiles stay within your scope of sequence? So mm-hmm being autonomous, but also following the curriculum at the same time. I know that's a question some teachers have when they think of like, how am I going to do learner learner profiles and stay on track? Because you're saying it takes four weeks for you to cover those four skills. So was that a challenge for y'all? And if it was, how did you overcome it? And if it wasn't, please tell us your magical secret.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We definitely have no magical secrets. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say, you know, this year, especially at the elementary level, Um, You know, we were really kind of faced with how to make this work with our new units of study. Um, And so, you know, we kind of had to change our outlook on personalized learning a little bit um, because we really wanted to stay true to that reader's workshop model for our readers, for our reading, for our reading block. Yeah. Um, And so we have been using a lot of personalized learning within our promise time this year or within our intervention time. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when you do it that way, it's really just kind of up to the teacher or, you know, you might be like three weeks out from your from your upcoming assessment. So you might say, okay, I'm going to target these, these lowest skills from our last assessment for three weeks during intervention time. Yeah. Um, and so it's really just kind of where you can realistically feel like you can fit it into your day for us this year. Um, we felt like it fits in really well with our intervention time. And so all of the students have targeted pathways that they're working on during that time um, of the day while we're still staying true to our curriculum and, you know, our readers workshop time separately.
0: Yeah, I love that. I like that you said be realistic because Mm -hmm. it's not like personalized learning means you have to pull a magic trick with the bunny out of the hat. I mean, it just means being flexible with what we're used to doing and being able to fit it in what we're already doing. So how did you, you – you already talked about managing a classroom full of students while doing these pathways um, and how you kind of done, did helping – like stations helping struggling students. Mm-hmm. And so what are s- some ways that management and setup really play into the planning of these learner profiles and these paths? Because this is kind of like personalized learning paths at the same time because they're kind of integrated with each other. Right. But how did you manage – the classroom part of it, the setup of it while you're planning this. Absolutely. So, um,
1: you know, we talked about the data being a really big part at the beginning to kind of get you going. Um, and then after we kind of had our had our areas, our focus areas, we really decided, we had to decide on, um, you know, what type of platform are we going to use? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be something digital? Are the kids going to be, um, you know, how are they going to know what path they're on? Are you going to have something displayed in the classroom digitally? Or is it going to be on a poster? Um, and so that was a really big part because, you know, the kids, they, they come into class every day and they're all doing, you know, different things yeah. depending on what you have going in the room. You might have two different pathways going. You might have four or, or whatever it is that you decided to do. And so it's important that um, the students know every day mm-hmm. what their direction is. Um, And with us, uh, with us approaching personalized learning like this, I mean, the student buy-in is just was amazing to see. Okay. It was, it was just. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, it was just, it was so amazing to see these students starting to really be motivated, um, walking into class and seeing their name posted under the cause and effect, you know, the cause and effect pathway or the nonfiction text features pathway and saying, okay, that's my focus you know, I'm, I'm working to be successful in that area. Here's my, here's the score I got on the last assessment, or here was the percentage that I scored in that standard. And this Hyperdoc's is going to help me, you know, be successful.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so just really seeing the motivation from the student's um, point of view was, was really cool for us. Um, and then, you know, just kind of explaining to the kids, like, why you're in that pathway and really making sure that yes, they're understanding, the why. you know, mm-hmm. that, well, it's not just because it was this, it was this number, you know, that was associated with your name, um, but really having them gain an understanding of this is what I need as a learner, you know, and it may not be what, what she needs or he needs. Um, so that was a big part of it. And then just your materials, Mm-hmm. You know, the, the management of the classroom and your materials. Are you going are to, the, are the activities that the kids are doing in their different pathways and, and um, different profiles, are they going to be a low-tech option? Are you yeah. going to have, you know, tubs for each standard that the kids are working on with the materials in the tubs? Is it going to be a digital resource like we've been talking about? Is it going to be uploaded in Google Classroom or in School yeah. T- or, You know, what's your platform going to be for the students to be working through? Um, so just kind of making those
0: decisions. I love that you just broke all of that down because even though you're an elementary teacher, if there's secondary people listening to this, all of this can be applied to the secondary classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Because in all honesty, classroom management can't just be trusted to the kids no matter what age they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Even older teenagers, even seniors, they want direction in the classroom and they want the intentionality of your management Mm -hmm. and the planning behind the details of lesson design. And I think sometimes – People think like older; they're older. They're you know seventeen years old. They'll figure it out, and it's like they still want some structure. Right. Um, and so I love that you said that. And one of my favorite things that you said this whole thing is giving the kids the why. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a day if a kid asked why, it was looked at as disrespectful. I mean, even in my earlier teaching career, I used to see coworkers be like, "This student even asked me why," and I'm like. OK, right. I want to know why I'm an inquisitive person. I want that information, but it just helps people to make a connection mm-hmm. to the actions that they've been asked to do. Right. And so if you look at it from that standpoint, instead of they're disrespectful or they're wanting too much from me, I think that takes off that old look of these kids can't ask me why. Just give it to them yeah. right away. And then they can have that buy in and then you don't have to be offended as the adult that right. they want to know why. Um, and it definitely makes their actions um take place more successfully when they can know the reasoning. So right. I love that you said it, that.
1: It was it was a really neat um, kind of story that we were uh, we were probably like in week two of um, the pathways at this point. And, you know, the students who maybe didn't need a pathway, it was because they scored like in the 80 range or something. We were offering the extension projects for students that were in that higher 80 range. Well, I had a little girl come to me and she said, Missy, can I... Um, you know, I, I scored an 80 on the, on the cause and effect, um, standard, but I really would like to, to improve in that area, you know? So, I mean, talk about student ownership. (laughs) Yeah. How old is that kid? Oh, like eight year old, eight, nine years old, you know, third grade. I mean, wanting to, (laughs) wanting to say, you know, I'm aware that I was in the 80 range and I want to be even better. So, and I mean, just the student ownership that comes into play in the buy-in and when they do know the why they're truly
0: owning their learning. And I love that this ties into the relationship building too. And I'm a big advocate of teaching the life lessons out in the open. I don't know if I remember that a whole lot from different – I had different teachers that did that, Mr. Boudini, Ms. Puyat. It's like I can think of these people, Miss Gonzalez, who taught like hard work. And if you're struggling, you need to come in and get extra help and those things. Right. But I don't know if they were as explicit as maybe now there is a push in education for. And I think it's the former coach in me too wanting to teach like explicit leadership like yes. you are brave and yes. you have integrity <laughs> and you need to want to improve because I think we need to break that mind frame of some students who are like – you know, I have a 70, so it's good enough. And it's like, no, you want to be more. You have to have ambition and that drive. And I just, I think it's so good to teach them at age eight, again, coming from a secondary standpoint, I love that your eight year old said that because it's like, what is that kid going to look like when she's 16? Exactly. She's gotten that lesson so early on from awesome educators like you. And I just, my heart soars hearing that. Because I don't know if that was present when we went to school. You
1: know? And you I, know? Yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: and that's why I feel like that
1: story is just, it's so cool because, yeah. it, you know, you didn't see that. And you didn't you didn't really
0: see the kids kind of buying in and owning it the way that
1: you do in this sort of model. So, And
0: it's not a knock to old anyone who used to be an educator Absolutely. back in the day or anything like that. It's just the way we move towards, there's a push for college and career readiness. And it's not just with our high school students. It's all the way through. I think that kind of infiltrates down into the different skills that kids need as good citizens and when they get out of school. Yeah. Totally so, agree. moving back to the part where you said just deciding what platform to mm-hmm. use and I love that you're saying that it doesn't mean you have personalized learning does not mean you have to use all technology. No. And you're not on a one-to-one campus as a teacher and now as a literacy specialist. So, what does that technology usage look like in the classroom? not being a one-to-one campus, but still using it in your lesson design? And was that a challenge at all? Or was it just a natural planning part for you, Jennifer and Amy, when you guys were making these lessons and this personalized learning path for your students in these units?
1: Yeah. Um, So it really wasn't a challenge, honestly. We had enough computers to kind of roll this out with partners. Um, And so all of this work was done – in partnerships. Now we did have to get creative. Okay. Um, in the fact that, you know, I may have an odd, I mean, this is just like right. logistical stuff, yeah. but like I may have an odd <laughs> number of kids in my class, who yeah. this pathway. So let me go over to, you know, Ms. Turner's class and see if she has, um, another student who could pair up with one of mine. So, and, and that was even fun for them, you know, to kind of be able to, Oh, I'm going to go to Ms. Turner's class for this time because my partner's in there. Um, but we, you know, we're doing a lot of, a lot of, um, this work in partners, or sometimes we would have, like, a half-and-half half station kind of a thing where, like, half the room is going to work on their pathway independently because this this portion of our day is an independent activity on the computer. And then the other half of the classroom is with the teacher and small groups are or, or doing something separate that doesn't involve technology. And then you can kind of switch. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was kind of how we made the, the not being one-to-one work. Um, and then we also have a lot of um, – Different activities and the different pathways where we did incorporate like a high tech and a low tech option um, to kind of help troubleshoot some of that as well. So you might have students that choose the low tech option. But okay. they want to, Did you have kids pick it? Oh, all the time. Okay, All
0: the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, they I want, want to use just, my hand. Yeah, they want to get <laughs> just get. Get their hands in there. Yeah. And, and, um, and can you give me an example? So like if you can think back to something like that, just give me an example of a low tech, high tech, because some people might have something different in mind. And obviously elementary is going to look different than secondary, but it's still another option that you can use at both levels. Mm-hmm. Can you just give me a, an example of a low tech, high tech?
1: Yeah. Um, so definitely when you think of like a research project, okay. awesome. you know, we were in our nonfiction unit um, there was a, there was a text feature um, pathway where the students were having to learn how to use text features um, and understand a nonfiction text based on the different features and how okay. you know how it helps the article um, and so part of p- one portion of the hyperdoc was the students going going and finding their own text features to then you know um, create a little article or c- then they had to like label like this is a caption, this is a diagram, this is a, so we had the high tech option available where you could go do it all that digitally. Or we had a bucket of magazines where yeah. you could go and, you know, find your text features that Flip way. Yeah. And I mean, like the number <laughs> yeah. of kids who just wanted to go look yeah. through the time for kids magazines and cut out their text features and, you know, make a poster was just as many as the kids who wanted to be on the on ground. The
0: and that speaks so much to the personal personal preferences, but also personalities of those kids. Right. Like some kids are just going to be so good with their hands. I think of the crafty kids or the kids that will be builders one day. Like they want to use their hands. And then there's other kids who just are tech savvy and want to be typing. And then sometimes it just depends on the day it is. I'm sure you saw a balance between that as well. Oh,
1: yeah. That's so
0: funny. I love it. Thank you for that example. So, like, overall, what kind of benefits did you see from your students working on academics with a connection to what is important to them personally? And I know some people who are listening to this episode will also want to know, like, the data, like, mm-hmm. did you see gains for your kids in different areas? I don't know if you started your year off with those personal learning paths, or did you start, you know, mid-semester, mid-year? Mm-hmm. So did you see a change, basically, from just general teaching to when you guys moved to personal learning paths and learner profile? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I just asked you, like, 16 questions no, in one, no. but what were the benefits, and yes. did you see any, like, tangible gains with your kids? Definitely. Um, so, you know, talked about a
1: little bit of the student buying and student ownership and, you know, just the, that the kids being intrinsically motivated to succeed, you know, that was just a big part of, of what we saw initially, you know, the changes. Um, we did start this at the end of our year last year. So it was kind of like, it was kind of during our review time, um, getting into our star review time. So um, definitely, you know, the data was a big part of it. I do have to brag on the third grade team this year at Benfer. Um, So they've kind of continued with this throughout the start of their year. Okay. Um, and like I said, they're using it during promise time. And so, um, you know, breaking down the data in PLC, we've, we've targeted these TEKS, we've targeted these pathways. So the students are working through their different targeted areas within promise time or within the intervention time. And then we run the data from the late, from the, from the test afterward. And we see that those students no longer need that pathway. Like the student was in the effect yeah. pathway on the first assessment three so. weeks, you know, they've worked, worked, worked through it. So you
0: actually could see like yes. growth with these kids yes. from these learner profiles and the things they were doing, the activities they were doing. Yes. That we literally run. gives me goosebumps. Like, that is so cool. So, yes. I mean, and To have a quick turnaround like that. We just
1: took our STAR-SIM. I'm bragging on them. They're awesome. Yeah, and, I mean, there's awesome. so many teachers at our school that are doing, that are doing things like this. Um, we just took our STAR-SIM, and the students, we always have them do, like, a little data tracker afterwards. And so they get to go through their standards and see, you know, where their areas of strength are, where their areas of needed improvement are. Um, and so the students have their data trackers with them. The teachers have designed um, pathways for all of the standards from the STAR-SIM. And so the students are literally going to be using their data tracker during intervention
0: time to track what they need to work on. Um, did they work – okay, so my first logistical question <laughs> is, did they work on those as a team to do all Absolutely. of that? Yeah, that is This is, is not something
1: that you're, that you're going to do overnight. You're going to no. do overnight, and it's not something that, you know, you do can by yourself. By yourself. Yeah. yeah, you've really got to be able to – Teamwork. You've got to be willing work. to, you know, kind of fail forward together and be out of your comfort zone and try something that's maybe a little bit new and uncomfortable um, because, yes, it does take a team to really – to really get it planned
0: out. Okay. I just love all of that conversation around the learner profiles and personal learning paths. And I know it's going to help anyone who's just thinking about it or wanted to dive more into that topic. So we're going to kind of change our route here yeah. and we're going to go into our closing of our podcast. And this is one of my, going I know it's going to be one of my favorite parts of these mm-hmm. episodes, but what is one favorite thing in education right now?
1: Um, So one favorite thing, education um, for me is really just the people, you know, I'm in a new role this year um, and I get to kind of see what's going on all over the campus and work with so many amazing teachers. Um, And so I'm really, truly just enjoying seeing the teachers like putting themselves out there and, you know, really caring about, you know, getting better at their craft and they're not just showing up. You know, out to work every day to like do this job. Like, they are there because they love kids and because they care about kids, and they're there and they're they're becoming forever learners. And you know, they're really working to you know to. I have teachers come to me all the time. You know, I need I need suggestions yeah, on this. Or awesome. I need suggestions on that. And um, just just really seeing the teachers kind of you know working and being innovative and trying new things, and it's 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 inspiring to work with people like that. Um, and so I have really just enjoyed you know being a part of that collaboration and sharing ideas and um being a part of that culture and i bet you know? that makes
0: your first year out of the classroom so much easier yeah it makes it easier to come to work
1: yeah i mean it's those are the type of people that, yeah. that we want in classrooms yeah. you know those are the type of educators that we want and those people who are here to to better themselves and to better their career yeah. and to better you know what they're doing in the classroom and not just coming to do this mundane task you know they're They're wanting to make things better for kids. Which is every parent's
0: dream for their child. Like I just want a teacher in there who's gonna care. Yeah. And give my child the best experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So then changing gears, but under the same realm. What's one favorite thing in general right now? Like in the world? Yes.
1: So um (laughs) just recently went to the TCA conference and I don't know if this is like a new thing or not, but this is like, I've just learned about it and thought it was amazing. So it's a Google slides, Chrome extension. Okay. um, And it's called remote for Google slides. Yes. I don't want to from
0: TCA. Oh my
1: gosh. Like, okay. Tell us why you love it. So you, um, it's an extension from, Mm -hmm. from the Chrome web store. And once you get it, um, you'll have this little button that pops up on the top, right. Of your Google slides. And so when you present with your Google slide, even if you're, I mean, not formal presenting, even if it's just in your classroom, um, you control the presentation from your phone. And what's neat about it is, you know, we can do that with like remotes with yeah. the, you know, the, the clickers. clickers and yeah. stuff to control the Google slides from, from those. But what's neat about it is the note section of your Google slides shows
0: up on your phone. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh! So, I was trying you know, to figure out like if I should I use this extension or my clicker, right? But you might have just blown my mind, right? So you know we
1: always type like the, the note and we type our our, yes. our thoughts and they the never come off and they crimp off and it's then, obnoxious. exactly. And so then you're like, oh, can oh. I have all these great notes that I wanted to say on the slide, but Mm-mm. I can't see them because I'm in present mode. Well, this extension puts the notes on your phone, and so you've got the notes in your hand, and you can control your slide. I can't. From your phone. I don't think I'll ever use my clicker. And I have a I very fancy
0: clicker. I don't think I'll ever use it again. Coolest thing ever. Yeah. And it's on your phone. Like, so it. I know, like, for me, the, <laughs> I'd be worried that somebody come in and be like, oh, she's texting. But yeah. I'm like, everyone, yeah. I'm just clicking on my phone. But I did see someone use it, and I did put the extension on my computer because. I was really intrigued and Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out a reason to use it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm so glad that you told us about that because that's so easy to use for if you present, like you said, at like a conference, but even in your classroom. Oh, Even in your classroom. I mean,
1: I would have things all the time that I, you know, would type in the note section that I wanted to just reminders for the kids and things like that. And I'd have to like, okay, hang on. Let me just make sure. You know, check my notes section real fast. (laughs)
0: Escape out of the present mode. I mean, look at these printed papers. Yes. With highlights. It's just super (laughs)
1: nifty. Love it. Awesome.
0: Well, Kayla, thank you so much for visiting our podcast today. So enjoyed having you talk about your journey to personalized learning and using learner profiles and personal learning paths to help your kids succeed personally. Um, I love your passion for organizing and overcoming challenges to, to help the kids. And I love that you use your leadership to transform teaching on the campuses that you've been on. So thank you for sharing with us today. Thanks so much, Monica. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Kayla as much as I did. I loved hearing about the tangible ways to make personal learning paths a reality for students in the classroom, how to be creative with the use of technology and how much we use it, how the why of what we do is so important to the kids that we serve, and yet another tool remote for slides that will help the efficiency of anyone's presentations. I know I'm feeling inspired about her passion for the individuality of our kids and thinking outside of the box and hope you are too. If you're enjoying our content, subscribe on any platform that podcasts are available, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and more, and leave us a review. Until next time, here's to taking our learning and transforming the world.